by any reckoning, the year 2020 will be remembered as a very bad year. This is the case for the world at large. Just use one word and it tells it all, pandemic. And this is especially true for the Philippines because with the pandemic, you add calamities that have befallen us. And indeed, for many, they will consider this a bad year. Some explain this as only the wheels of fortune. We happen to be in an unlucky year. Others will explain it more scientifically. For the Christian, fortune is not an acceptable explanation, whereas science is right, but not good enough, not complete. Deep in the psyche of everyone, consciously or unconsciously, we may be asking, how is God good if he permits such bad things to happen in the world and in human life? Some ask this sarcastically. But I am more concerned for those who are asking this painfully. They may believe that God somehow has control over all things and what happens is only what he permits. And they also believe that God is good. But there is the conundrum, there is the puzzle. How can God be in control and how can God be good? And yet so many bad things are happening. They don't seem to reconcile. And that is a question that has puzzled theologians, philosophers for so many generations. So this is not a new question. In fact, uh, there are years worse than 2020. And there are events worse than the pandemic. And some think that it is so irreconcilable that the only right thing is to choose between believing that God is in control, but that he is not good, but more are choosing the option, yes, God is good, but we cannot believe that he is in control if so many bad things are happening. Fewer, though they are increasing in number, have chosen to dismiss altogether any belief in God's existence. To them, that is the only way to have no puzzle at all is to have no God at all. But denying the existence of God does not resolve the problem because times are still bad, but this time without God, there is no possibility of any comfort. The question, in fact, goes back to the ancient times. As I've said, it has puzzled philosophers and theologians alike. But we want an answer that is for simple people who have to grapple with this issue on a day-to-day -day basis. And yes, there is an answer, as always, to questions like that in the Word of God, in the ancient story of Job, and then given explanation in the New Testament. So I would invite you to turn your Bibles with me first to the book of Job, chapter 2. We will read verses 6 to 10, and then... For an explanation, we will be looking at James chapter 5 and read verse 11. But to get the context, we will begin with verse 8. So Job 2, 6 to 10, and James 5, 8 to 11. I'll read from Job 2, verses 6 to 10. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. 
Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Then turn to James chapter 5. Our text is verse 11, but let's read from verse 8. James 5, 8 to 11. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, the story of Job is familiar to anyone who know their Bible. And even familiar to those who don't know the Bible, and yet they have heard the story of Job, a righteous man who suffered much, and that became the theme of the book. He lost his possession, and then even more painfully, he lost his children, and this happened, by the way, consecutively. And then, finally, he himself was subjected to very painful physical ailment. And several people in the book tried to give Job an answer to his predicament. They tried to answer from different approaches. And readers like you and me are invited to take, to take which side to accept until God himself speaks. But as far as human understanding is concerned, the combination of Job's response to his wife and then the New Testament explanation in the letter of James... I think, give the right side. And I want to give you this message. God continues to dispense His goodness even in bad times, supremely proved in Jesus Christ. Ang Diyos ay nagpapatuloy na nagbibigay ng kanyang kabutihan kahit sa masamang panahon na lubos na pinatutunayan kay Jesus Cristo. God continues to dispense His goodness even in bad times, supremely proved in Jesus Christ. Now, Job's response to his wife should not, be con should not be construed as contempt for the wife. He tells her, you are speaking like the foolish women. Job does not directly accuse his wife of being foolish. Remember, Job is a wisdom literature as far as genre is concerned. And as wisdom literature, foolish is not talking about being maleducated or illiterate. Foolish is to speak like one who is immoral. And of course, that is not what Job is telling his wife. Rather, he is telling her that in speaking the way she did, he, she is sounding like the immoral women. But let us be sympathetic as to why Job's wife spoke in the manner that she did. It seems that out of sympathy, as she saw the suffering of Job, she felt that it would be better for him to die than to go on through his suffering. And have you not felt the same way sometimes when you see a loved one, perhaps a relative who is suffering so much, and then 
when he finally dies, we say that that is the better option because he no longer will suffer. Well, this is something that, that Job's wife might be thinking that in the suffering that Job was undergoing, it might be better for him to die than to continue on living. But Job answered him with wisdom. And let us dissect Job's answer from the whole story, not just from the text, for, from the whole story of Job and complete it with the explanation of James, then we can say that God still is dispensing good even in bad times. And there are three ways we can see that. First, God sovereignly restrains. Sa kanyang pagkasoberano, ang Diyos ang pumipigil. God sovereignly restrains. Secondly, God mercifully redeems. Sa kanyang kahabagan, ang Diyos ang tumutubos. God mercifully redeems. And thirdly, God powerfully restores. Sa kanyang kapangyarihan, ang Diyos ang nagpapanumbalik. God powerfully restores. So in these three ways, we see how even in an apparently very bad time for Job, God continues, in fact, to dispense His goodness. And we can say the very same things concerning the bad times we are going through. The first thing is that God sovereignly restrains. The writer takes us to the exchanges between Satan and God. Now, let me skip for a while the problems that such exchanges may raise for us. How can that be possible? But just Note that each time that Satan asks permission to do something malicious for or against Job, God permits and then restrains. In the last of which, Satan contends that Job's faithfulness to God is always a matter of self-interest. That's the motive of anyone being faithful to God. He is only for what he gets. He is only faithful because of what he gets. And God permits Satan to handle Job with his evil intent, but then he restrains. He says, spare his life. Now, what are we seeing here? We are seeing here that in his goodness, God remains or restrains the suffering that can be inflicted on and even deserved by sinners. Sa kanyang kabutihan, pinipigil ng soberanong Diyos ang pasakit na maari niyang ipahintulot sa isang makasalanan. When we suffer, we only think of how much we are suffering. We never think or it never occurs for us to think, what are we not suffering? Why does Job have great possession in the first place? We are introduced to Job as a very wealthy man, but why was he wealthy? Of course, it is lent by God, and God could take it away anytime. What about Job's children? Well, Job himself said so in chapter 1, verse 21, one of the more glorious statements of the book of Job. Job said, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job knew that even his children were lent by God, and at any time, God could take them away. And now Job is suffering physically. But who holds our health and physical well-being? Well, again, God does. Anytime that he takes that away, then we will be in a vegetative state. 
or even die. Remember Belshazzar, that great king who was proud about what he has done when suddenly a writing on the wall made him shake and only Daniel could make him understand what the writing on the wall was about. And when Daniel re re interpreted the writing, he then told what Belshazzar was guilty of in Daniel 5.23. He says, the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your way, you have not glorified. So even a king with all his glory is only a breath away from dying in the hand of God. That's how you and I are so fragile and God could take it away, the health, the kind of life that we are living. All of this can be taken away by God. But why does God spare the life of Job? It's not because he deserves it, but rather that God intends to make a lesson out of Job. And if Job understood this at that time, he would have been full of praise to God. He would have been humbled at the early chapters rather than we would find him humbled at the very last chapter. To know that he will be the one God is going to use so that generations after him, we are still talking about Job because God in his favor used him and he let suffering to go through his life. And yet without Job realizing it, God was restraining so as to make him a real lesson for generations to profit from. And when you are suffering, think of what God is sparing. Think that you are not suffering the worst of it all. God is sovereignly restraining. In the middle of the captivity, when Judah was under the Babylonian rule because of their own sin, how did they comfort themselves? Listen to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, when it says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. So what the captives were saying, in effect, was God could have consumed us. There would be no more Judah rather than a captive Judah because God still has an intention that through Judah, the Redeemer is going to come. And so God spares, God restrains, and that is his goodness. In order to be a lesson to others, in order to fulfill his purpose of redemption, he restrains what he could have inflicted in the worst, and yet he restrains. When you make a blood donation, it seems to be a cruel exercise, getting or extracting blood from you. But of course, the one extracting blood is trained enough to know what measure to take from you. It is measured so that ultimately it is harmless to you and then it will be helpful to others. Well, if something like that is happening in Job. And something like that happens when we 
God's people are undergoing suffering, God remains good because there is a good purpose in what He allows. And that is why we must avoid that common reaction, that of grumbling, that of complaining. This is precisely what James warns we should not be doing. We read in verse 9 of James 5, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Why should we not grumble? Because you do not have the full judgment. The full suffering has not been inflicted on you without you knowing how God has restrained sovereignly for his purpose. The challenge here is be terrified most of the unrestrained judgment of God reserved for the last day. Doon ka matakot, mangilabot ka sa lubos na hatol ng Diyos na nakalaan sa huling araw. Every suffering in this world is more or less tempered by the forbearance of God. He restrains. And James says the lesson of Job is that the Lord is very compassionate. You ask, how can that be? How does compassion emerge in the life of Job? As a matter of fact, there are several places in the New Testament where the word compassion occurs. But this is the only place where the writer uses the prefix for compassion that has the sense of abundance. That's why it's translated very compassionate. The suffering of Job, rather than showing cruelty, and caprice on the part of God is showing his compassion. He is sparing, he is restraining, so that his purpose of teaching the greater part of mankind in many generations, they will learn. Unrestrained judgment is delayed. Why? Peter explains in 2 Peter 3.9, he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why. If you are suffering, it is only a very small portion of what is reserved on the judgment day. If you will not repent, if you will not come to Christ, then you will know what unrestrained judgment is. It is not yet now. If you are going through suffering, it may be a token of what you are facing until you come to Christ. Why? Because it is Christ who in advance of the judgment day took upon himself the unrestrained judgment of God. What Jesus suffered on the cross is the equivalent of judgment day that you can only match by spending eternity in hell. Jesus Christ took that unrestrained judgment on behalf of sinners. And that is why only in Christ is there salvation. Romans 5, 9, being justified by his blood, we are saved from wrath to come. And my friend, if I can only knock in your head the meaning of that wrath to come, it will make every fiber of your being quake with fear to face the wrath of God. 
And the church must never lose sight of the judgment wrath that awaits sinners. It is a motive for mission and witness. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Think of your dear ones. Think of your loved ones. That's why we need to persuade people. We are all familiar with Jonathan Edwards' great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And that is what you are facing. You will be in the hand of an angry God. But the answer is Christ went ahead to be under the hand of an angry God. And yet it was the result of the love of God so that those who come to Christ may flee from the wrath to come. So their God is good even when suffering happens. It's because God sovereignly restrains. But secondly, God mercifully redeems. Sa kanyang kahabagan ng Diyos ay tumutubos. Do you know that Job is the first in the Old Testament to use the title Redeemer for God. He says so in chapter 19:25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. A redemption at its simplest is released from bondage for a price. And Job's hope here is that there will be that price paid so that he will be vindicated and he expected it on the last day. But I tell you, the last day redemption has been advanced in the New Testament. It has occurred on the cross of Christ. That's the price. The shed blood of the Savior is the price to release a sinner from the bondage of sin and from the bondage of condemnation. That's God's greatest good. It happened on the cross. God's greatest good and man's greatest evil combined at the redeeming death of Christ. What is the lesson of the life of Job? James tells us the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And at the cross, man showed his greatest evil of rebellion against God, for which he should suffer most. But another one suffered instead on behalf of the evil of man, and that is what mercy is. Mercy is God looking at the misery of sinners who deserve judgment, who deserve punishment. But instead of punishing them outright, he provided a means to alleviate their misery, to redeem them from their sin. And that is the price of the shed blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus' death exposes the greatest evil of man. The apostolic church believed that what happened on the cross was a conspiracy of all mankind, not just of the immediate people who were there. Listen to Acts 4 verse 27 when the church prayed under persecution. It says, truly in this city in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, 
both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So all were represented on the cross. We were there. Our sin was there to consummate the cross of Christ. It is for such sins as yours and mine that Jesus was there on the cross. And that is why you can only cast your sins upon him. Do it now. When the vaccine for COVID-19 is finally available, for whom do you think it was painstakingly developed? Well, I hope it is for all mankind. It has a purpose of rescuing mankind from this plague. And when Jesus died, it is for the purpose of saving mankind, those who will believe in him. So he challenges us to find the fullest validation of God's goodness in bad times on the cross. That's why it's supremely revealed in Jesus Christ. On the cross, God did his greatest good. If you doubt God's goodness in bad times, that all you can see is the pandemic, the flood, the victims, and all these other plagues. Remember the cross. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates, present tense, his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the cross is screaming to all mankind, God is loving, God is good. For if you complain about your suffering, look to the suffering of Christ. Your suffering is not a fraction of what Job suffered. And what Job suffered is not a fraction of what Jesus had to suffer in unrestrained wrath on behalf of sinners. And before James comes to his point about Job, he writes about the goodness of God in marvelous words. In chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There's the good, goodness of God from above. Can you find a better gift than Christ? You say you are suffering in a very bad year. But again, you have not suffered like Job. And even Job had not suffered like Christ. But it is, in fact, a call for you to come to the one who suffered most. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, in the second book, there's the pilgrimage of Christian's wife, when Christian was already in the celestial city, his wife, who was a scoffer in the first book, in the second book, she followed with her daughters, Christiana. And when she came to the wicked gate, the same wicked gate Christian earlier came to, as the point of conversion, she heard the barking of a dog and she was terrified. And yet she kept knocking. And when she finally was given entrance together with her company, then she realized the dog was leashed. And the owner of the house explained that many 
had been afraid to go through the wicked gate because of the barking of a leashed dog. That means many would rather not be converted because of fear of suffering, because of fear of persecution, because of fear of what they may the, what it may entail to become a follower of Christ, and in the process they go down rushing to hell just because they want to avoid the little suffering, the little barking of suffering. And they miss the goodness of God who mercifully redeems. But finally, how do we see God's goodness? God powerfully restores. Sa kanyang kapangyarihan, ang Diyos ang nagpapanumbalik. James' word for Job's patience is blessed. There is only one place that this word is used in all of the New Testament. It's a different word than other words, blessed. Blessed here is used only in Mary's Magnificat, Luke 148, all generations will call me blessed. Now, James is saying, such as those who are patient in suffering are also blessed. Certainly, Mary was blessed because she bore in her womb the incarnate Son of God. But you and I are blessed likewise when we bear in our humanity a part, a token of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And there is a restoring power that is promised to those who do. God's restoring grace is greater than the destructive malice of evil. That is the lesson of Job. Ang biyayang nagpapanumbalik ay higit na dakila kaysa sa kasamaan na nagmula sa jablo. Satan had malice in his intent in harming Job and God intended it as demonstration of restoration. This is the truth of Romans 5.20 where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, demonstrated in real life. In the end, Job repented of accusing God and then he was restored. And that remains God's order. Even for believers who fall into sin, you must repent in order to be restored. This is the compassion of God at work for those in misery. He has mercy to the repentant. And I'm calling upon you to repent. Because unless you repent, you bear in your life the wrath of God. John 3.36 says, For those who do not believe, the wrath of God abides in them. Imagine that. It's not simply that you are waiting for wrath to come. Wrath is abiding in you. You have your happy times in your life. You have your happy moments with friends. You have your happy times of achievement and your accomplishment. But in all those times, the wrath of God is like a chain clinging to you. And the only way to be released from that is through the one who bore that wrath on the cross. Because God is good. 
even in suffering. And restoration in New Testament terms is now gospel salvation, which is all the richer than old covenant promises. We have a measure of it even now, but the best is yet to come at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why the Christian is such a wonder that through what he is going through in suffering, yet he can be sustained in faith. What explains that? Well, again, in the Pilgrim's Progress, in the first part, Christian was brought to the house of the interpreter. And there he saw the fire that was kept alive. Even though Satan was pouring water, and when he asked why this was so, the interpreter showed him the back of the wall, and there Christ is pouring oil, more oil than Satan could pour water into the fire of the Christian. That sustains our faith, not because your sheer grit and discipline enables you to be sustained, but because of the restoring power of God that challenges us to pray expectantly and humbly for God's restoring even now until the end. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter 5 verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Suffered a little while. And then full consummation of restoration. Only those in union with Christ have a promise of restoration in the future. That's why you need to come to Christ. This is not all the life there is. Whether your life is full of happiness or life that has its suffering, this is not the life that is intended for humanity. We are indeed going through bad times now, but the goodness of God has not been suspended. He continues to be good, and it takes the eye of faith to see that and see it supremely in Christ. I'll tell you of someone who suffered much. John Owen is considered as the most wise, theologically, among the Puritans of the 17th century. John Owen lost all his 11 children. And yet, he worked tirelessly as a man of God. Several times he preached sermons to the Parliament of England during times of plagues, plagues like ours. And never was he a grumbling man. He was a man of faith. And this is made possible because he was a man of God. He was a man of Christ. So if there is any grumbling and complaining in us, mortify it. Mortify grumbling and complaining. Instead, cultivate the gratitude that even in bad times, you can believe God is good and it is supremely borne witness to by the cross 
of Christ. And remember when Christ died on the cross, you and I as sinners were part of the conspiracy for God to do his best and man do his worst. And yet on the combination, you have the cross of Christ. So as we sing our response hymn, let us remember that we will sing, I crucify thee. But that is the truth. Our sins are among the reasons why God, out of love and mercy, has sent his son so that sinners who deserve punishment will have someone to be a substitute for that. And then we can confess and profess and bear witness to the world. God is good, even in bad times. Let us say, I crucify thee. Just close in prayer. Our Father, as we have sung, whatever good and kindness we receive, it is not our deserving. And yet such is our sinful nature that we often see only the suffering. We only complain and grumble many times of those that are unpleasant to us without realizing that even through bad times, out of your goodness, you sovereignly restrain. We have seen this in the story of Job. You intended for him to be such a lesson that generations later, we are still, we are still learning from. And yet at the time of the suffering, Job was not aware of that. Or if he had been, he would have been conscious of the great privilege that you were giving him. And thus as well in our suffering, we do not think of what we are spared of. We only think of the heaviness of what we bear. So grant, Lord, that we may understand that even through bad times, out of your mercy, you have accomplished the purpose of redemption. Whatever it is we are suffering, we would not even come close to the fraction of what Job had suffered, and much less than the suffering of your son, for he had not sinned, and yet he became the substitute of sinners. And if there is any doubt on our part of your goodness, let the validation be that died on the cross and God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We pray, Lord, for those who are still outside the pale of grace and perhaps are complaining of the bad times now and the sufferings they are undergoing. May they cast their eyes upon him who suffered, who need not suffer, who need not have suffered, but because of your love and grace, you have sent him to suffer on our behalf and in his suffering, the unrestrained judgment of the last day has been advanced on him. And thus, those who cast themselves upon him are delivered from the wrath to come. We pray for those who still have not experienced that deliverance, that they may realize what a tragic reality it is to face the hand of an angry God that hand which has smitten the Son of God and will someday smite them unless they repent and believe in the Son of God. We pray that you may use the word this morning 
in order to save sinners and continue to make your saints go through the suffering that is only a small token and as Peter said, just a little while until restoration shall be accomplished. So we pray that as a church we may be faithful to our mission, knowing the terror of the Lord. We persuade men and we pray for those who have yet to come to Christ, that they may know the tragic circumstances they are in, that if they are not believing in Christ, the wrath of God even now abides in them. So we pray that we may all confess and indeed bear witness to, you are good, you are kind, you are indeed, as James says, very compassionate and very merciful even through these bad times. And to you we give the glory and our worship. Now may the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. In Jesus' name, amen.